The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Nody no 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 nody no no notes nody no notes from the underground. <laughs> Please keep it on there. <laughs> oh man! Now, um, we have, now we have to do it again because we have a theme song. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfect. Well, are we rolling? Yes. Welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, alone here in the studio with Rocket Man Andy Bishop, who is not behind the glass. We're alone together. We are alone. Yes, we sure we are. Opened, I opened the door, yeah. the, the glass door that I'm usually looking through to the back room so that I can, you know, smell and taste Rick. <laughs> like, you know, we could really be a part of this together. It's nice. We're getting closer as the as the years go by. Also, that room felt a little warm, so I figured you might like that. It is nice, actually. I feel a little bit more air in here. It gets kind of stuffy. Well, especially when all the other burrows are around, you know. <laughs> it's a lot of ass for one room. <laughs> You're so right. So, I don't even know if anybody's going to listen to this. Uh, you know, like, like I told them, I, it was just going to be you and I together. I was going to do some additional notes. The um, w- when we start reading the Olivet Discourse, if we don't shift our paradigm a little bit and consider the fact that Jesus is saying these things are happening in his time, we're always going to look at it from a futurist point of view. And because we do that, the words take on whole new meanings that they didn't mean originally. And that's where you know, my beliefs changed when I really tackled the Olive Discourse. I think the Berean Bible Church of Virginia Beach, I've said it over and over and over, um, Jeffrey McCormick, uh, who is one, I don't know if he's a deacon there at that church or whatever, he has done some sermons, and he, some of these notes come from him. Uh, Pastor David Curtis, some of these notes come from him. Um, I have borrowed things from the Kingdom, uh, the Kingdom Project podcast, Marcus Hall, and uh, Marcus Hall is actually going to be on the show. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. I reached out to him, and he has agreed to be on the show. So he's coming in, I think it's June. Uh, no, actually, that's Jim Beaver's coming in June. It's the last uh, Thursday in May that we're here is that when Marcus Hall is going to be here. And we awesome. also have Dave Cristiano, who was a Christian filmmaker since the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And him and his brother, Rich Cristiano, very well known. Uh, if you want to see their movies, go to Pure Flicks or just look up uh, christianmovies.com. Those guys are amazing. Uh, they will be coming on to bring their testimony, which is awesome. Yeah, it's all fun. Yeah, so this episode, really what it boils down to is that when Jesus says that the sun will be darkened, the moon will lose its light, the stars will fall from the sky, that these are not literal happenings like we think. Like, okay, this is the end of the world as we know it. And And I feel fine. (laughs) Right. And so, because of that, we have to understand that Old Testament language. And I said, hey, there's a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more to this, okay? And it's important to understand it. So let's, uh, uh, we've already talked about what we found in Genesis, the initial thing wherever, uh, where 
uh, Joseph has the dream, right, about the sun and the moon and the, the 11 stars that bow to him, that that seemed like a government, or which was yep. Israel. It Tribes, was a nation. Said. Right. So if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, again, I want to say this. These notes are specifically borrowed from the Berean Bible Church. I'm saying that because they're kind enough to offer these things. They don't charge you a dime, and they say, use as much as you want. You don't have to ask permission. So I thank them for that, because this has helped me with this study tremendously. So go there. It's a resource. Anybody that wants to learn this, go and get that resource. I have all intentions of going and visiting that church. Whenever I go, I'm going up to Maine to visit my family. Is and it Maine? Is that where it is? No, this oh. is in... Uh, uh, Virginia Beach. Oh, okay. I guess you said that, didn't you? Yeah, okay. yeah, Virginia Beach. But we're going to make a trip. We're going to go up the East Coast, and I'm going to swing by and uh, make sure that I'm there on a Sunday to be able to go to a, a service. I really want to meet these people. So, uh, all right, so in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19 in the ESV, it says, And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. So, in other words, he's given us all the sun, the moon, and the stars, but if you begin to worship them, you're worshiping something that everybody has been given. And that's what God says, do not worship these things. He's Yahweh. He is. <laughs> he expects to be worshiped by his people. So, it's, it's important to know that the heathen nations were the ones that were worshiping these things, the sun god, right? Look, <laughs> at, look at Ra, the sun god of Egypt, and, you know— uh, I can't even remember them all. Like, and these are things that are not special, apparently, according to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? That's what it sounds like. It's like, dude, the stars? Yeah. They're there every night. They're there, and they're for everyone's enjoyment. You know, why are you worshiping those things? But it was forbidden, but it didn't mean that Israel didn't actually fall into the worship of the sun or the worship of the moon or the stars. They did. Throughout the course of history, Israel did those very things. And so, if you go into Second Kings— 23, uh, starting at verse 4, it says, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah. Does that name strike a bell for you, Andy? I've heard it, but no. In no, history, not in any way that I can remember. It is believed that Asherah was the wife of God. Oh. That's the female god, the female goddess that people talk about. So the Baals and Asherah, this is something that the Israelites actually worshipped at one time. Oh. And you can see it in history where they did. They actually worshipped a female god, a goddess. That's awesome. Asherah, right? And so there, he's saying, get those idols, uh, vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. He burned them. So he's burnt these idols, Okay outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron, and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of the heavens. So the Israelites were not supposed to be worshiping these things, but they were. And so, at this point in 2 Kings, this is where Hilkiah um, actually stops the worship of idols, okay? So, um, I've already read to you guys out of uh, Isaiah 13, 
um, where you know it talks about. Uh, let's see here. This the in Isaiah thirteen. This was around seven thirty BC, and it's uh, spoken against Babylon of their time. Uh, the Neo-Assyrian Empire was probably the most powerful world network that had ever been seen up to that point. That's a direct quote. And it says, they subjugated Babylonia and its Chaldean rulers like they did so many others. As many of the nations tried to break free over time, they caused revolts and uprisings. Shortly after 630 BC, as the Assyrian Empire began to crumble, Babylonia and Medea combined forces to put extra pressure on the last of the Assyrian kings, and with his death, the empire was over. After that began the emergence of the Nebuchadnezzar, of Nebuchadnezzar and the new Babylonian Empire. In general terms, the use of sun, moon, and stars in Hebrew culture, as we have seen, is commonly understood as referring to those in a place of authority or a political type of power. But at times, the prophet using these terms could be directly targeting the deities of the other people. So, he might hmm. be talking about stars, but those stars, do you remember when we did the study on the divine council? Yeah. And how the bright and morning star, the Christ was the bright and morning star, and then there was the morning star. Yeah. That Lucifer. Lucifer of the morning, yeah. Yeah, son of the morning or whatever it was. So, um, a lot of times that the prophets that are speaking are actually speaking directly towards, it's like pantheist, okay? There's these other gods. Yeah. So there's the belief- yeah, They do seem to just kind of recognize that. Yeah. It's just not our God or the main one. Or that's the right. One. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's like they were gods over the other nations and what- what Yahweh would do is use these gods to toy with each other. Sounds very much like Zeus and his power over the other. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. like the power over the other gods. Now it says here, um, according to the Mesopotamian creation epic entitled the Enuma Elish, the great god Marduk had placed the constellations in order to oversee the forces of nature and assist him in the management of creation. At that time, the movements of the heavenly bodies were considered omens about things that would occur on Earth, and therefore astronomical observations were a constant practice for them. The findings were recorded and collected into the Enuma Anu Enlil. In Mesopotamia, Egypt, and Greece, this information was used to prepare individual horoscopes. So that's where this stuff comes from, yeah. the constellations, right? Using this, lucky and unlucky days could be determined by consulting the Guild of Magicians and Astrologers. So now knowing just how important of a part that constellations played for this nation, when we come to the text speaking of judgment upon them, pay attention to the celestial language contained. All right? So let's see. This is Isaiah 13. Uh, verse 6-13. through 13. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty it will come. Therefore all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel and wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. We read this in that this previous episode. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. So basically, so whenever Yahweh says to, to through this uh, prophet, when he says that the celestial bodies will be darkened, 
He's not just saying that the powers and the leaders will be removed. He's actually claiming that Yahweh will outshine the other gods. That's what's being said here. Okay. All right. So, again, uh, I'm reading directly from these notes that I got uh, from from Dr. Uh, Dave, or from uh, David Curtis. Since Assyria and Egypt both worshipped the supposed sun god as their primary deity and the moon god Sin, capital S uh, I N, was of great importance in Babylonia, it is no surprise that the prophet targets those gods of that arrogant people. <laughs> Many agree that this prophecy was fulfilled in 539 BC when Cyrus the Persian took Babylon. But hopefully we see here how the celestial bodies of sun, moon, and stars are relevant to the judgment and were not considered to be a literal event at the time. Also, I think, you know, hmm. I, I keep saying this was this was Curtis's. I think this is actually Jeffrey McCormick's note, so I apologize to anyone. But if you ever want to find these, uh, again, go to that website. Also, um, it mentions the woman in labor, which actually should should trigger in our mind if we go back to what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, these are the beginning of the birth pains. Yeah. So this is something, this language is very, very common. And we find it in Jeremiah 48 and 49, Matthew 24, 8, which is where we saw the birth pains, and then Mark 13, 8, which is a parallel verse of Matthew. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So this this language is very common. All right. So we've already we talked about Isaiah 19, where this was an oracle. Remember, mm-hmm. utterance chiefly of doom against oh, yeah, Egypt, yeah. and he says. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. So again, here we are, we see that um, God is riding on a cloud, the Lord's riding on a cloud. And it's interesting to note that I did not know, but the Baal gods were called the cloud riders. And so this is like a direct insult to those who worship Baal by saying, nope, Actually, Yahweh is the cloud rider. So this is, you know, there's some God fighting going on, right? My God's bigger than yours. Yeah. Yeah, So, um, but associating God with clouds is nothing new. Sure. Because in the Exodus, that's God descends in a cloud and he's in a cloud and they're, you know, the pillar of fire and pillar of smoke and he's in a cloud. Then his, you have the glory of the Lord that comes down. Uh, Christ ascends in a cloud. It says that he's the Ancient of Days that comes in a cloud and stands before the Father. He's going to return on a cloud with his angels. You know, this is apocalyptic language. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, so if we think we're going to see a physical coming because we think that way as Americans, we're reading it in English and it just sounds like it. Every eye shall see him, it says. Every eye shall see him. Well, it's all in how we interpret things. Right, it's really, it's really an interesting thing, and because we are so English, it's hard to understand. And uh, we're we're reading a translation of a language that was written with a lot of colloquialisms, exactly. Apparently, or that's what it sounds like. No, you're one hundred percent right, and that's why we don't understand it. And then also, even our translations are suspect because you have look at how many translations there are in the English language right now. My favorite is Young's literal translation. I love it because it's it literally is, that's the one that was like and the non-Jewish people did pick up a stone and you know like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know just saying it like pretty frankly there 
<laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So let's go to Jeremiah four. This is this is kind of cool. This is again with the clouds. I want to I want to bring this up. So moving on, um, it says uh, the the prophecy of Jeremiah four against Jerusalem against Jerusalem. This prophecy against Jerusalem at the time was fulfilled. Uh, by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. We have spoken about this so many times. And if you go to Jeremiah 4.13, it says, Behold, he comes up like clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind, his horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. So if he comes up like clouds, if this happens and this Babylonian army destroys Israel, and we see that as a judgment, why is it that whenever we hear the Son of Man coming in the clouds, that it just is a physical event. You see? Yeah. It's I keep yeah. I keep doing this over and over and over, but I'm just trying to drive home the point. Like we need to keep it in its context within the entire Bible. All right. So let's move on. Let's read another cloud formation in Zephaniah, yet a minor prophet in the Bible. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Darkness and clouds, this language is its symbolism that's surrounding the national judgment that comes from God and is, again, not literal. Let's go over to Ezekiel uh, chapter 30 through 32. Um, So Jeffrey McCormick says here, uh, we find the prophecy of judgment against Egypt. I have read some who say this was accomplished when Cambyses of Persia conquers Egypt in 525 BC, while I have heard others say based on Josephus it was fulfilled in BC 587 when Babylon destroyed them. All right, so in Ezekiel 30, for the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. So here's cloud and doom again. Ezekiel 30, 18. At Tefafanehis. <laughs> wow, that's... Uh... At, at Tefafanehis. Yeah, the day shall be dark when I break there the yoke bars of Egypt and her proud might shall come to an end in her. She shall be covered by a cloud and her daughters shall go into captivity. So there we go again. Cloud, cloud. All right, uh, Ezekiel 32, 4, and I will cast you on the ground. On the open field, I will fling you and will cause all the birds of heavens to settle on you, and I will gorge the beasts of the whole earth with you. Whew. Yeah, that's uh, a little rough to take, literally. <laughs> <laughs> they they won't get much each. No, and it's interesting to note that whenever the Roman army destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and all of those people were killed, that the birds, in fact, did come and eat the corpses and carried off this meat of people and flew away. And it's kind of like what he says, when we hear about in the days of Noah, they were marrying and giving a marriage, and so shall be the same in the coming of the Son of Man. And then they're ask, they ask Jesus, and he says, where the eagles are, where the corpses are, the eagles will gather. Or another one says, where the corpses are, the vultures will gather. It's almost like he's telling you how they're going to, you know, this is, you're going to actually be eaten by birds. You know, this is like like a horrible Alfred Hitchcock film. And and now the birds just lay in wait. Right. Yeah. For their next opportunity. <laughs> 
Ezekiel 39.17. I'm going to wrap this up here in just a second, guys. You Feel free to do a, a serious search. Go get a Strong's Concordance and look up cloud. Look up sun. Look up moon. Look up stars. And just do some searching and read it for yourself. You'll see it for yourself. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all the beasts of the field. Assemble and come, gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of he goats, of bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan, Ezekiel 39, 17. So, oh yeah. But then listen here. Here's the connection from what Ezekiel just says in chapter 39 in the Old Testament to our symbolic revelation 19. Listen to what it says, verse 17 through 18. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. You must understand this actually happened in 70 AD. It yeah, happened. I, I didn't think about the fact that, yeah, that definitely happens after a large battle. It doesn't matter what war it is. Think yeah. about it. They're just yeah. like, food. Yeah, absolutely. They don't give a damn. They don't. They also, do not. for the record, birds are uh, assholes. They- <laughs> they're just, they're little dinosaurs, and they resent the fact that they're not big enough to just kill you. <laughs> That's right. So they just pluck you when you're not looking. That's right. <laughs> so in Never Luke- trust birds. Never trust. <laughs> Flip a bird. Luke 17, verse 34 through 37. He says, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second. Anybody who is a futurist or a dispensationalist, when you hear these verses, you're thinking of the rapture. One will be taken and the other will be left. You're going to be left behind, correct? One will be taken and the other left. It says, what? There's two women grinding at the mill together. One will be taken and the other will be left. There's two people in the bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. So then they said to him, where, Lord? And here's what he, here's his response. Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. It had nothing to do with the rapture and everything to do with the judgment and destruction of the nation and being carried off by these birds the flesh of these people in the blood. I mean, yeah, the literal. That that's exactly what was happening. And so they they look at his rapture. So the reformer John Gill uh, says says it like this. The one shall be taken, not by the preaching of the gospel into the kingdom of God or gospel dispensation, nor by angels to meet Christ in the air and to be introduced into his kingdom and glory, but by the eagles, the Roman army and either killed or carried captive by them. So that's what reformer John Gill thought. All right, so let's look at Ezekiel 32. This post-judgment dead stuff that's going on. I will drench the land even to the mountains with your flowing blood, and the ravines will be full of you. When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. That's Ezekiel 32, 6 through 8. So if you see, it's similar to Isaiah 34. Mountains flowing with blood, 
It's judgment. It's always judgment. So you can't deny it. You, you just can't. Um, you can also look at Joel uh, in the, the prophet Joel, chapter 2. <laughs> Do you see why I don't think people are going to listen to this? This is brutal, but I told everybody this is going to be like from a fire hose. If you want to study it, study it on your own. Or if you want to hear me, just understand this is judgment in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is making it very clear. And we also have to understand that he told the chief priest, he says, I adjure you, are you the son of God or not? And he said, you have said so, and you will see the son of man coming on clouds with great, you know, uh, sitting on the right hand of power, coming with his holy angels. And he was like, blasphemy. That's what the chief priest said, because he just claimed judgment on the priest and on the nation. That's what he was saying. All right, Joel 2, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on the high holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near a day of darkness and, and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread over the mountains a great and powerful people. Like uh, there, like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Sounds very familiar to what Jesus said. There would never be anything like it. And there wasn't, not, not what I read. The earthquakes before them, Joel 2.10, the earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. This is Old Testament stuff. Joel 2.31, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This is not a solar eclipse. This is not a blood moon. This is judgment talk from the, from the prophets. All right, Joel 3.14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So, now you can see that it could be, you could if you want to look at it, you can see some places in the Bible where it actually might be talking about a literal eclipse. Yeah. This just isn't one of those moments. <laughs> just not here. Uh, not here. All right. I'm only I'm going to read like two or three more, and then you guys, I just uh, I'll just leave it to you. In the book of Amos. All right. Uh, Amos five eighteen. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Did you notice what he just said? Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. The uh -huh. day of the Lord is the day of vengeance. It's the obliteration of the yeah. nation of Israel. Yeah. Now, Christians today can't wait. Yeah, but woe to you. <laughs> exactly. They, it's like, one of these days it's coming, you know, and it's like, uh, don't want that. Don't desire this, okay? This Why is Amos. Would, this is Amos. These five. names are all to me like Amos. Like, oh, I know Amos. Yeah. Oh, wait, not this one. <laughs> Great cookies. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. It is the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it. Amos 5.21, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. He's talking directly to the Israelites. I'm not going to take your offerings. I don't want your smelly lamb. <laughs> yeah. 
Amos 8, 9, and on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And then Jeremiah 15, I have made their widows more in number than the sand of the seas. I have brought against the mothers of young men a destroyer at noonday. I have made anguish and terror fall upon them suddenly. She who bore seven has grown feeble. She has fainted away. Her son went down. While it was yet day, she has been shamed and disgraced, and the rest of them I will give to the sword before their enemies, declares the Lord. So over and over and over and over again, okay? So it's not odd. Even when Christ was crucified, it says that the and the sun was darkened. Now, you can take that as a literal darkness, or you can understand that the author is letting you see what darkness is like when the light of God has been killed. So you can look at it in any way you want, but then there's an earthquake. Was it a literal earthquake? Was the sun literal? Who knows? We weren't there, but it certainly sounds like apocalyptic language, like the author is saying, when the Christ died, the sun died. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it was dark. Yeah, yeah. It's it's about mood. Yes. Uh, Not necessarily exactly about light. Right. And and trust me, in the Old Testament, it's just lots and lots of blood, like lots of blood and animals carrying you away and mountains drenched with blood. And it's just, all of this is, is judgment language and the Olivet Discourse is no different. The Olivet Discourse is nothing more than Jesus telling you when all of this is going to take place. And most of us don't really understand it. But if, you, if you'll give it some effort, guys, and you'll actually get into this, after this episode, I'm going to do, I'm going to work a hybrid of the sign of his coming, and when Jesus says, this generation shall not pass until all these things take place, and then I'll finalize it with the parables that he uses right after he teaches them, then these parables will suddenly make sense to you like they never did before, because you understand that he's talking about judgment and what is actually happening to the nation of Israel at that time. Which we, would make sense, right? Yes. Yeah, that would make it sense. It does. It falls in place. And then, like, I would I would always hear these parables, and I would like, what is, what? You know? But now that I, I understand them fully, it makes more sense. So anyway... So that was a quick burst of lots of talk about blood and guts and and stars darkening and all that. But yes, a lot of dark stars. Yeah, and it's, it's so exciting that I have to. And uh, I don't know if you saw the poster that I made, Andy. I did. I made yeah. a poster. Did you notice that I put absurdist? Yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we're not. You know, I don't know if atheist and absurdist is the same thing, but you called yourself that you more believe like an absurdist, so I'm using that term. All right, works for me. Uh, I'm not afraid to use any term, but absurdist seems to fit you. So now, uh, let's lighten this baby up a little bit. All right. Okay. I got what, a joke. Do we have a joke. I do, I'm, and I think you're going to like one this. Just for us. Yeah, I think you'll like this one. Two Trump supporters die, and they go to heaven. Okay, you've got me. <laughs> and they meet with Larry, the 15th apostle, okay? Mm-hmm. They're standing at the pearly gates. And as they're about to go in, one of them one of them looks over at Larry and says, is it okay if I ask a question? Like, I, I don't know what's going to go on in heaven, but there is something I'm just dying to know. And so Larry says, shoot. And he goes, all right, what were the real results of the 2020 election <laughs> and who was behind the fraud? So Larry sits there and he goes, I'll be right back. So Larry walks away and they're both just sitting there like, hmm, all right. So we're going to find out, pal, you know. It's funny how these people all die in twos. They always die in twos. It's yeah. Funny. yeah. Very rarely are they by themselves. So anyway, Larry comes back and he says, 
I have your answer. There was no fraud. Biden won the Electoral College fair and square 306 to 232. So the one guy looks to the other one and says, man, this goes a lot higher than we really thought before. (laughs) That is good. That's good. Not even heaven. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's not safe. It's not safe. Not safe. Anyway. From the lizard people or whatever, (laughs) whoever is pulling the strings. That's exactly right. Well, anyway, thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. I hope you have a nice vacation. Thank you. Yep. And uh, we're going to- I'm working. I'm doing air quotes with my fingers. Yeah, you're working. Working. Oh, are you really good? So, uh, anyway- when uh, when we get back after that, now that you've studied these notes, guys, when we get into that, we got two more parts. We're going to wrap it up, and then you guys can study on your own. We're going to be on a study of the Book of Esther. We're going to continue our testimony series, like we said, and then uh, I think we're going to get into the Asherah, the goddess that was worshipped. I think we're going to go back a little bit, and we're going to do a little side study, you and I, Andy, and cool. sort of get deep, maybe get Tiziana involved. She knows a lot about. Uh, the Hebrew scriptures more so, mm-hmm. especially the female. Remember, she said she looked for the goddess. So yeah. I want to have her here, yeah. you know, and talk about I'm gender sure like and gender that. equality and all that yeah. stuff. It'll be fun. Anyway, well, I appreciate it. Yeah, you guys, absolutely. take care, and uh, we'll talk to you again next time on the Burrows of Berea. Insert Andy's little song here. <laughs> I put a front and back. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, you should. Please do. Yeah, please do. Nody no 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 notes no no notes from the underground <laughs>